Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Verse 28, Jesus is telling a parable, and he says, But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the way to live, but you didn't believe him while the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. I want to preach a message to you this morning from the title, The Parable of the Two Sons. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. God, I pray that you would anoint me today to speak what you'd have me to say to your people. God, thank you for allowing us to be here, God. Thank you for allowing us to be a blessing to the church up the street. God, I ask that you bless them, Lord. Bless their communion, God. Let, let lives be touched and changed. Let, 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 I pray your name would be exalted, God. And I pray in this place today, God, that you would speak to us. Show us what we need to know, God. Tell us what we need to hear is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The parable of the two sons. Now, We talked a lot about parables. Jesus did roughly, approximately uh, about 48. I think most scholars would say, I mean, about 40. Most would say about 38. Um, But Jesus taught a lot of parables. There's a place in the Gospels where it said from that time forward, he spoke to them only in parables. And without parables, he didn't speak to them. So Jesus used parables a lot in his teaching style. And the word parable has come to mean loosely in our modern understanding a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. What what it means literally, though, it comes from the Greek word parabole, which means to lay alongside. It's to take two things and stretch them out side by side to see which one is right and which one. It's a comparison I was going to do, if I was one of those cool illustration preachers, I'd have done it, but I didn't. So let's see how good you are visually. If I had two pens in my closed hand right now, and one of them had the whole pen in it, and, and, and the other one was missing the bottom half, would you be able to tell which pen could, could be used? So do like this. No. And if I asked you which one of these pens is better for writing, you would not know. But if I entered into parabolae, if I stretched them out and laid them side by side, it would become quickly apparent which one was the right one. Are you following me? This is the purpose of parabolae. This is the purpose of parables. And there are many parables in the Bible, and we need to make sure that we do a good job getting the meaning, getting the understanding. The Scripture says, with all you're getting, to get understanding. Now, a parable typically is a story um, based on natural things. I, I've told you before, I call it first natural, then spiritual. Jesus used this teaching method, first natural, then spiritual, in his parables. He, he would talk to farmers in farming terms while teaching them a spiritual truth. And he, he would talk about here in this parable about a father, about an older son, about a younger son, one who said this and the other who said that. And these teachings, these people inside the story are representative of us and our situation now. Are you following me? The danger is 
when you try to study a parable that you don't take and try to assign every little speck to a person. Because you're like, if the, if the story says a certain father had two sons, who, who would we most likely think the father represents? God the Father. And, and that's cool, and that's, that's obvious. But if you start trying to break it down into, uh, God, you know, the man said, go work in my vineyard today. Well, what time of day was it? See, because, And then you start trying to stretch out and expand and assign value to too many different things, then you will lose the main point. And I've told you consistently, and I'll remind you again, that every parable has primarily how many main points? Just one. We want to find the one main point inside this comparative, illustrative, metaphorical parable today. Let's work through it together in verse 28 of Matthew 21. Jesus is teaching, and he tells this group of people, but what do you think about this? Question mark. When we study the Word of God, I want you to always pause on the punctuation. I want you to slow your reading down so that you can digest, absorb, get it in your spirit, what is being said. Jesus said, what do you think about this? Now, what you should read from that, what you should understand, that Jesus is about to say something, and he wants people to what about it? Think about it. How often do you think about God's word? How often do you think about what Jesus is saying? This is the word of the Lord, and God, Jesus said, what do you think about this? Not what does your neighbor think, not what does your last church think, not what, what does the people up the street think. What do you think about the word of the Lord? Oh, if I had uh, time and I could get honesty out of everybody, I, I would just go row by row. I start with Miss Irene and, and, and work my way all the way around back to Alfred and just ask people, what do, do you, first, do you think about the word of the Lord other than when you come to church? And I've told you, if you only read Bible when you come to church, you're spiritually malnourished. Do you think about it? And if you do, what do you think about it? Let's get into the teaching. He said, a man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. Now, if we were to use bad hermeneutical skills, hermeneutics is, is the art and science of interpreting scripture. If we were to use bad principles of interpretation, we, we could dig too deeply into a parable and say, well, why, why was it just two sons. What does the number two represent? And I, 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 I bemoan this point because I've heard pastors do this type of foolishness when they're teaching the word of the Lord. Two sons? Uh, it's, it's not important. He could have had 22 sons. It, uh, well, why did they have to be sons? Well, he, he told the older. Well, how much older was he? And what does the age factor represent? Do you see how you could drive yourself crazy with that type of bad interpretive skills? Stay with the context and look for the big point. We understand when it says a man with two sons, where, where Jesus is representing God by this story of having two sons. God's got lots of sons. God's got lots of children. I hope you are one of them. But he tells the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. Now, it, I want you to get that he approaches him on the basis of relationship. And you need to make sure that you have a real relationship with God. He approaches him as a father talking to a son. Now, there are people out there that believe that just because they're born in America that they're God's children. I've heard people say from pulpits, we're all God's children. Well, that's not specifically what the Bible says. The Bible says we're all God's children by faith in Christ Jesus. If you don't have faith in Christ Jesus, then you fit into that group of people Jesus talked about when he said you're of your father, the devil. So here we see that this word is talking to people who are sons of 
the Father. Now, I'm going to help you. I'll pretend we're in Wednesday night Bible study, and you, you, you pick the right answer. If he's talking to his sons, do you think this represents Christians or non-Christians? All right, you're following along. That's good. Let's get through it because it's still hotter than pickled pig's feet in here. Um, and, and I'm trying not to faint. He tells his, he, he tells his uh, older boy, go out and work. He, appre- he approaches him as a son. Now, here's the reality. Knowing that his father wanted him to do this should have been enough. Should have been enough. See, I don't live in a house of explaining. I don't know about you. I, was, I, I can't. I can't live in a house of explaining to children uh, because I wasn't raised in a house of explaining to children. So I don't know how to do that. I, I don't know how to give a two-and-a-half-hour speech explaining the dynamics of washing dishes just to get my children to put the dishes in the dishwasher. Now, that sounds like common sense, right? Y'all know my mama, my mama didn't take questions from children. And, and, and if she did on, on a wild day because she, you know, she was losing it and somebody asked her a question uh, of why, uh, what would my mom say? Because I said so. And my mom expected. It's her house. She was single mother. It's her house. She, she, told, she told us what to do. That should be enough. And my children know that, see, I'm not one of those. I see them, and they drive me crazy. These parents push, pushing buggies down through Walmart. Johnny, don't throw the can. Why? I, I tighten up when I hear that because my mom would have would, 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 would crowned me with that can, and that's not a good thing because it's not nice to throw the can. Why? Well, because the can might get dented. Why? Well, because the structure of the can is not solid enough to withstand your little raggedy seven-year-old insane stupidness of throwing the can. Now, they don't get to that. I'm stepping in on my own. But they're not training that child right. When they do that, that's poor parenting. When you approach your child as your child and you tell them to do it, they should understand right away, my mother or my father told me to do it. I'm their child. That's enough. This is where the fantastic Bible teacher, pastor of the famed First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Dr. Charles Stanley, his church came up with this motto that was cool and it caught on, even though it wasn't totally right. They, they were saying it, and because he was on TV and the radio a lot, they had churches saying it everywhere. Uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And every time they would say, God said it, I believe it, and that settled it, i tighten up like that. Just like my mama yelling at me, that I didn't, because here's the reality. If God said it, it don't make a rat's patootie what we think about it. Can we be honest this morning? If God said it, it don't settle it just because we believe it. It's settled already. And this father approaches this son on the basis of relationship. And here's what we need to understand. The relationship is forever established between a father and a son, a mother and a child. That, But here's the reality. Here comes along the famed uh, psycho psychologist, Dr. Spock, not to be confused with Star Wars. This dude came along teaching people. Don't spank your children. Just, just help, help, you know, give, give them space and let them find their own way. When the Bible says a child left unto himself will bring his mother and father to shame. And, 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 you know, America got away from mama beating the brakes off you. Or daddy taking you to the woodshed. And that created a whole lot of bad behavior. That's why a lot of these young children don't have any fear of authority. They, they don't have any respect for authority because they've always been able to tell mama, no, and, and, or daddy, no. And, and, and that just 
be dealt with it. Let, let me propose to you, this was not the case 2,000 years ago when Jesus was saying that. They were still living under an old covenant uh, of Levitical law where if the child raised his or her voice at the parent, the parents were commanded by God's word to take them outside the city limits and stone them to death so that every other child in the community would know you don't talk back to mama and daddy. Now that's a little extreme. I'm going to give you that. But it worked. It worked. And, 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 and let, they, they had respect for authority. These little children that tell, talk back to these teachers, they don't have mamas that have knocked their head loose enough. They, they, these little children that, that get all mouthy uh, to, to grown folk, uh, that, that's just, that shows bad parenting. And I want you to know God is not a bad parent. When, when God's being represented in this story and he told his son to go do work in my vineyard, he, he expected totally, uh, he's going to do what I say. He, even more so than me. If I tell one of my children to do something, stand up, Jake. Raise your right hand. Put your right hand down. Raise your left hand. Put your left hand down. Clap two times. Tell me you love me. All right, sit down. I love you too. Ain't no need to ask me a bunch of questions. I'm the dad. Listen, he don't eat without me. The boy likes to eat. Do you have a relationship with the father? Does his authority mean something to you because we live in a generation of people who just want to do their own way we live in a generation of people who are more concerned with getting respect than giving respect i cannot deal with the the young people telling grown folk oh you're gonna respect me you ain't about to disrespect me uh well i'm gonna try to teach you to speak english Disrespect ain't a word. But this is just all indicative of poor parenting along the way, and God is not a poor parent. So when God comes to his son and tells him what to do, and notice he wasn't asking. See, this relationship is established. And listen, I, I, I view my kids as, as the closest human beings in the world to me. And we laugh and we cut up and we joke and we have... Uh, hilarious things that we talk about and we we hang out together we eat together every single night of the month of the year but they know that they are not on my level no matter how much we're joking around no matter how much we're cutting up and sometimes i get into them and and, they, and i'll let them get into me a little bit but it, but if i think it's getting too far i Hey, you have fun, but don't get in trouble. And there needs to be, see, America went away from, from this defining line. People wonder why. Here's a little news flash for you. Here's just a little education for you outside of my notes. Do you know which ethnic group of people do the best academically and financially in America? Anybody know? Asian. And not by a little bit, by a long bit. They, they graduate with more advanced degrees than any other ethnic group in this country. And they're the newest people to this country. White and black people have been here since day one. Not sure when Puerto Ricans got here, but <laughs> longer than Asians. It's just closer. Common sense will tell you that. Uh, but they, they come in here. They, they graduate with better grades. They get into better colleges. They graduate with higher degrees. They make more money. And guess what? Guess which group, ethnic group of people in this country are the least incarcerated? You've never seen an Asian commercial on TV talking about, we've got to figure out how to get uh, Chin Lee out of prison. Now, is it because the man scared to arrest five foot, 312 pound Chin Lee? No. Chin Lee ain't stepping sideways on the regular because Chin Lee grew up being doing what he was told to do. 
People don't like this type of teaching, but it's real. People, see, because everybody wants to blame. It ain't on my parenting. I did good. They just chose to be loud, screaming, hollering, crazy, uh, talk back, no respect. Mm, there, there, there's some work needed. Somebody say work. But God did the work with his child. This child knew. And so the father approaches him in authority, in relationship. And the child should have been willing to do what the parent wanted just because he was the parent. Not for fear of retribution, not for fear of punishment, just because my daddy wants me to do it, and I'm a good son, so I want to do it. And the father, notice this next, the father asked the son, or told the son, to go work. Say work. He said, go work. Oh, that's a four-letter word in America today. That doesn't say, uh, he didn't say when you get done playing your video game. And if you feel like getting up off the couch later, he didn't say if, if, if it just makes you smile and feel good. No, he said go work. I want to tell you something. Work is not a curse. Work is not something that God punished human beings with because of our sin. God gave us work to do in the garden before there was the sin. Work is a blessing. Work has value. The Bible says in all labor there is profit but he told his son to go work to go participate in the family business but it was work and not play and the boy said he would not do it I I, I just challenge you I challenge you today you, you 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 got if you got a young person living in your house just tell them next time they sit down get up and move to that chair change seats I don't like where you and, and, and see if they'll do it with a smile on their face Okay, now that's just a simple illustration you could do to your kids. But beyond that, I want you to think in your own life. When God tells you what work he wants you to do, do you stay stubborn stuck in your chair? Or do you just get up and go? Because it's about getting up and going. You got to go out. You got to do something. And, and not only was it work, but it was the father's work. He, he said, go out and work in the vineyard. And if, if you read that in the King James and other translations, it says, go out and work in my vineyard. Guess who owns the vineyard in this story, the father or the son? It's family business, but daddy's in charge. It's family business, but everybody's expected to work. We've raised a generation of people in this country that don't expect to work. They expect things to be handed to them. They got participation trophies that they didn't deserve, and, and, and they got coddled and spoon-fed their whole lives, and they weren't told, get up and go outside and do work. And this child chose not to participate in it. I want you to notice also in this verse, the, the, the father says, go out and work in the vineyard today. Say today. He, he didn't say maybe do it sometime down the road. He didn't say uh, when you get everything in life figured out. He didn't say when you get all your ducks in a row. He didn't say when you get over being hurt from whatever you're dealing with right now. It, there, there was no time for all that. There was work to be done, and the father said, Son, go do the work today. And the father asked him to work in his vineyard, and it, because it belonged to the father, it should have been precious to the son. Because, because it belonged to the father and it mattered to the father, it should have mattered to the son. I wonder today, do the things of the father matter to you? Do our, does our heavenly father's business matter to you? Verse 29, the son answered, no. I won't go. I cringe right there. I'm like, here it's coming. No, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went anyway. This is the exception. We're going to see the rule in a minute. This is not normally the way this goes down. It don't normally go down because this is talking about people living in the Father's house, i.e. church-going folk, uh, hopefully Christians. This is talking about people who are claiming a relationship to the Father. And typically, when, when someone is asked to do something, they don't just say, I ain't going to do it, and then turn around and later do it. So this is unusual. This is the exception, but this is a story we have here. He said no, but later he changed his mind and went anyway. He, 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 he refused to go to work for the Father. He didn't want to bend to the Father's will right up front. But notice what it says. Later, 
he changed his mind. Later, some versions say, later he repented, because that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind that results in a change in the direction. It's somebody that's walking this way, and, and they're going the wrong way. And then they get told the truth, and they realize, well, that's not what I need to be doing. And their, their, their change of mind results in a change in direction. That's what repentance is. And even though this boy said no, he changed his mind, and he changed his direction. If you've been telling God no for anything in your life, I want you to know you need to change your mind and change your direction. You, you need to embrace that old-fashioned Bible word that churches don't preach much on anymore, repentance. You need to stop doing wrong and start doing right. I thank God that he allows us to do that. I thank God that, that you know, it wasn't just boy said no, so he took him out and stoned him. No, he gave, he gave him a second to think about it, and common sense kicked in, and the boy went and did it. See, here's what happened. He spoke wrong, but he did right. Initially, he said the wrong thing, but he did right. Now, ultimately, as a father, I don't want my children speaking wrong, doing wrong, speaking wrong, doing right, but it matters more how the thing ends up than how it goes on the onset. See, I've told so many people, would you rather your children fake Christianity in church their whole lives and die and go to hell, or would you be happy as long as sometime before they die, they find true salvation and go to heaven? See, this space for repentance is God's grace. This space for repentance, it's God's blessing. This space that even after we've said no, which is crazy, do you realize it's crazy to tell God no? He could squish us like a bug. Do you realize it's crazy to tell God no? He loves us more than anyone else does. Do you realize it's crazy to tell God no? Because he has proven his love to us over and over again. But this is what this boy did. And I'm going to tell you, even though this is an exception, I've been there some times in my life. I've been there some times in my life where God told me to do something his way. And I decided to do it my way, but thankfully because of his mercy and his grace, I was able to repent, and even though I spoke wrong, God gave me the opportunity to do right. I wish somebody would understand this morning that even if you've been doing wrong, you got an opportunity to repent and do right. Then the father said to the second son in verse 30, you go, and he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. <laughs> so we got the opposite going on here. We got the comparison. We got the, we got the parable. We got the parabole. We got two things side by side for us to examine. The second son said the right thing, and he even said it with respect. He, he, he said, yes, sir. Uh, very few times I ever had to remind my children. Now, people think it's a southern thing. Uh, and and, and maybe, maybe, maybe it is, well, no, maybe. It's definitely more prevalent in the South. I can always tell when my sons are hanging around people from up north, when they bring them to my house. They introduce them to me. I'm like, so you go to school with my son? Yeah. I'm coming. I'm coming, Ethel. This little, this, this little pimple-faced boy just barely looked up from my television set. Chewing my food in his mouth and said, yeah. Mm, no, I very seldom, few times, well I, well, I already know that boy. He, he was raised bad by, by people who, who wasn't raised in the South. But I very few times have had to remind my children. And, 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 and they know it. They, they know they've messed up before I even say, before I even tell them. If they respond to me wrong and, and I look at them, I say, don't, don't say what? Don't say yeah to me, or, or, or the opposite, don't say what? Don't say no to me, boy. Don't, 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 don't look at me and say yeah, yes, uh-huh, yes, sir, no, sir. Well, you're just an egomaniac, Scott. You're just, you're just hard on. No, I'm trying to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm trying to get them to understand respect for authority. I'm trying to get them to understand that their feelings don't matter as much as what God tells them to do. And this boy came off with, yes, sir. I'm 
sounds good. Sounds good up front. But it says he didn't go. So he said the right thing. He spoke right and did wrong. Remember, the first son spoke wrong and did right. Here the second son speaks right and does wrong. And I believe that there are more people represented in this room and in churches across America that are second son people than first son. I believe there are people more represented by the younger son than by the older son. They, they're, they're people that out of their mouth, they speak right, but they do wrong. They, they say the right things. We, we know how to do church. We, we know how to come to church and act right and say the right thing. And we can even say it with a smile on our face. And we can, we can either be emphatic about it. We, I mean, we got the Christianese down. Well, how are you, how, how you doing today, brother? Oh, I'm blessed. Okay, well, I'm really trying to figure out how you're doing because can you really even tell me what, what, what that word means, what that blessed word means? Is that really what's happening on the inside? I'm just trying to say how, but people get all that church words in them. They get all that religion in them, and Jesus is speaking to a very religious group of people, and I believe that this is much more prevalent in churches today. People who uh, are more like the second son, they, they, they say that they're going to get serious about God, but they don't. They talk about doing the Father's work, but they don't. They, they, they keep up their appearance. They, they yes, sir. They, they, they look the role, but they don't live the role. Now, see, somebody right now should be getting uncomfortable because the Bible is pointing you out. Somebody right now ought to be realizing that's me a lot. Somebody ought to be realizing right now that you, uh, you know how to say yes, sir, and play the game, but you don't really put any action behind that. And, and this group of people, here's the problem. They think words and promises are enough. I come to tell you today, your words and promises are not enough to God. God said to obey is better than sacrifice. You can cry, squall, Praise, worship, holler, sing. You can run around the block and, 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 and have a hallelujah good time. But until you do what God has told you to do, you are not stepping in to what God has for you. I'm going to read a direct quote. I put it in the notes so it could be on the screen today. I want you to hear what the Prince of Preachers, uh, Charles Spurgeon, said. He said, the second son said, I go, sir, but he went not. And these people, talking about church folk, do not go. They talk of repenting, but they do not repent. They speak of believing, but they never believe. They think of submitting to God, but they have not submitted themselves to him yet. They say it's time. They break up the fallow ground and sought the Lord, but they do not seek him. It all ends in a mere promise. Oh, I wonder if I had a gauge for you this morning. If I just had my son meter gauge and I could just hang it on your neck. Older son, younger son. Older son, younger son. I believe that there are so many people sitting in churches today that say the right stuff and don't do it. Know what they should do and don't do it. And here's the bad news for that. The Bible says to, if you know to do good and you don't do it, that's sin to you. The Bible says that you're held accountable for the things that you know. The Bible says there's a greater condemnation against those who sin in the light than those who sin in the darkness. So you can quote all your little churchism if you want to and you can play the role if you want to but all if it all it's just all talk if it's all lip service hey talk is cheap it takes money to ride the bus talk doesn't get the job done and this boy was a talker at least up front he he said i will but then he didn't go so jesus be, brings this thing to 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 conclusion in verse 31 begins to wrap it up and he says which of the two Obeyed his father. Well, I mean, what, what, what's your thought? You got one that said no, but did it. You got another one that said he'd do it, but didn't. Uh, the first one said no and did it. The second one said yes, but didn't do it. Which one obeyed the father? They said, and, and, and they're right, the first. Then, then Jesus explained to me, and he said, I'll tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Now, this is not... Um, some oppressed liberation theology, which is bad theology. This is not God loves 
down and outers more than he loves up and comers. This, this isn't some, some say that, you know, God, God loves them more because they came from deeper, uh, uh, bad place than they did. He knew that these religious people despised tax collectors and prostitutes. They were the lowest form in that society of human being. These were the two worst trades you could have then. They're not really highly thought of trades now. Amen? It cut me. It, well, it cut me yesterday. Uh, yesterday was the last business day of the month, and I had to get my property taxes paid. And because my house is paid for, I pay my property taxes one time a year, and I write a check. And I was at the tax collector's office Friday. Hint, be smarter than that. <laughs> don't go to the tax collector's office on Friday. And if you have to go on Friday, don't go on the last Friday of the month. And if you have to go on the last Friday of the month, don't let it be the last business day of the month. Can you understand the place was busy? So I had to go in there and write my property tax. I, I don't like it so much. I don't, the, the lady told me to put the man's name down. To, I'm, I'm just going to write tax collector because that's what I think of this place. Now they'll take the check. Clay County, take the check. You can make it out to Jimmy Weeks. You can make it out to tax collector. They don't care. I made it out to tax collector. Are you ready? $6,104.92. I'm mad about that. So you ought to know how I feel about the tax man. You ought to know how I feel about the tax collector. They didn't feel, they, they felt even worse about him then. He said corrupt, not just tax collectors, corrupt tax collectors and hoes going to go to heaven before you will. Oh, man, I wish we could just all teleport right now into some mega church filled up with rich, sedity people wearing, 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 wearing designer clothes and, and acting like nothing on them ever stunk and they acting like they don't get bad uh, breath and, and they, they don't ever, they don't ever I could, I'd say fart, but you wouldn't like that in public, but <laughs> acting, acting like they're all perfect. I wish we could all teleport right in there and God give me a microphone and let me tell all of them. Let me, let, I'm talking to all you religious People, all y'all perfect looking people looking down your nose at everybody else. Corrupt tax collectors and hookers are going to heaven before you do. How do you think that sit with them? They wouldn't like that. There's, they're not going to heaven before me. I'm a good person. They're a bad. Listen, he told, now Jesus said it, so it's factual. Here's what I want you to know. Everything that Jesus said don't always hit the ear of the listener just right. You think anybody wanted to shake his hand and say, well, thank you for that word today, uh, Lord Jesus of Nazareth. That was, that was quite encouraging. I left uplifted. I felt so good as I sat there and you told me that hookers were going to heaven before me. No, but the truth's the truth anyhow. And he came to tell them the truth. Uh, they, they, they didn't like it. Uh, but he starts off with which of the two obeyed his father. So the point of the parable is clear as, as he's explaining it to them. What matters more to God is not just the initial thing you say out of your mouth, but your actions. It, it, it's do you do right, not just do you say right. Because saying right and not doing right has convinced a generation of people that church folk are full of junk. Because all of us have been guilty at some point in our life of saying something and doing the other. Can anybody say amen? amen? All of us have been guilty of that, and that is an offense to God. And God doesn't want us just to say right and do wrong, but he is much more concerned that even if we say wrong at the beginning, that we end up doing right. Because honestly, both these kids messed up, but Jesus said which one of them obeyed his father. And then he hits them hard with the news, uh, because all these people thought they were going to heaven because they were Jews. It, 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 it's like uh, clan members. It's like racist white people. They think they're Christians because they're white. Uh, they, if that's all they got going for them, they're going to spend eternity in hell. It's like black Hebrew uh, nationalists uh, that think they're going to heaven just because just they got an afro uh, and, and, and put their fist in the air in defiance of the man. If that's all they got going for them, they're going to spend forever in hell too. These people thought that they were better than everyone else because of their racial identity. They were Jews, and they thought that gave them special privilege in heaven. And Jesus told them, what, what you got going on? 
We'll put you at the back of the line behind corrupt tax collectors and hoes. And they, they, they looked the right thing. They, 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 they were good at talking the religious talk, but they had unrepentant hearts. And he was saying, the most worst sinners in the world who repent will get into heaven, but you won't. Well, they didn't like that at all. Jesus went on to tell them in the next uh, verse, in the last verse in this parable, for John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. Jesus hits them with the, with the groups of people that they looked down on the furthest. And they looked up on themselves more than any other group of people. They thought they were the end-all, be-all. They thought they were the cat's meow and the bee's knees. They thought that God was impressed with them because of their religious theories, no matter what they lived behind closed doors. And Jesus told them when John the Baptist came preaching righteousness and repentance and holiness that there were evil people, wicked sinners that, that didn't live as clean and morally upright as these religious people did. He said they repented and they're going to heaven. You refused to repent of your sins and you're not. So the bottom line is not what you say in your first response, but how do you live your life? The one that obeys the Father is the one who, look at the end of it, repents of their sins. The one who turns around and does right. Because if you tell me you're going to do something, I'm thankful for that. But if you don't do it, you haven't blessed me. If you tell me you're not going to do something, I'm not happy with that. But if you do it and do it right, then I am going to be pleased with this. He said, when, when, you, when you saw these other people that you despise, uh, when you saw them receive truth and repent and change, that, that should have prompted you to, to, to repent of your own sins. It, it's so wild how people in churches look down on other people and think they're better than someone else. I, I want to tell you something. The scripture says it's those that have been forgiven of the most, that love God the most. You, you don't need to be. Now, I hope you are. I hope you are clean dressed. I hope you smell good. I hope you're faithful with your tithes and offerings. I hope that you got it all going on like butter and grits. I hope that you got all your ducks in a row, but that doesn't give you any standing with God to look down on anybody who hasn't got there yet. You ought to realize we all come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and messed up. And when you see other people repenting, that's a flashlight. That's a warning light. That's an alarm system saying, you should too. I remember the biggest altar call we ever had at the church that I, I made my public profession of faith in. Uh, the biggest, by far, the biggest altar call we ever had. We had a, uh, we called him choir director. Uh, we had a choir director who was world famous. He, he was touring. Uh, he, he was national tour. He had, he had uh, record deals, and he was, he re, he was great. Uh, his name was Archie Jackson. He, he was a, a choir director at Hillcrest Baptist Church uh, when it was right off Cassidy Avenue on the corner of Plymouth and LaBelle, and Archie can sing. He's now the praise and worship leader at Hibernia Baptist Church in Fleming Island, and Archie can still sing. We had an invitation one time, and the Spirit of God was just moving heavy. And you need to come to church every time the doors are open so when something happens, you don't miss it. And the Spirit of God was moving heavy. Archie Jackson came down off the stage, walked around, grabbed the preacher by the hand and started sobbing and said, I'm not really a Christian. I've been leading praise and worship. And my heart's never really been right with God. And I want to become a real Christian today. And, and, and the preacher did what every good preacher would have done at that point. He put a microphone in his hand. He said, I want you to tell these people. We were, we were paying a huge salary to that man at that time. He, he was on staff. Uh, we, we were taking care of him and his family. And he was up there leading us every week, talking about the praises of the Lord. And I want you to know, there wasn't one real Christian in the room that was upset with him. There wasn't one real Christian in the room that thought, you're scum 
and you deceived us. No, every real Christian in the room thought, praise God for saving our friend Archie Jackson. Praise God for saving a religious person bound up with a spirit of religion that's never found true salvation. And I want you to know what happened after that. Archie took the microphone. He'd been in church his whole life, and, and he knew the words to speak. So he took the invitation over from there, and he said, I just want you to consider this. If I've been playing church all these years and you see me up here, have you been playing church? Maybe you need to do what I'm doing right now. Maybe you need to step out of your... He said, I've been bound with pride and, and, and ability and, and thinking that I was special and that the, that the church needed me. I come today humbly to give everything I have to God. Uh, maybe you... And we had in that one day, and there were probably, you know, 300 people in the church, 400 people in the church. That night, because this was back when, you know, somebody came, walked out, and prayed a prayer. They actually followed through with believers' baptism. That's a word for some of y'all. It's great to raise your hand and stand up and say you prayed to receive Christ, but if you ain't willing to follow through, that's like saying, yes, sir, and not doing it. This, this was a different time. This, this was in the early 80s. And that night, uh, Pastor Moore told everybody, every, I mean, people were coming from everywhere coming to get real salvation. And that night, there were over 100 people baptized uh, in, in that church, and all because of the reality that somebody, Archie, kept seeing people that were societally way less than him. He comes from money, good-looking, well-dressed, articulate, sharp dude. He, you know, he, he, he looks like church. And he was seeing young people and and, 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 and people that were less than societally than him come, and it finally caused him to realize, I need that. And people came from everywhere. And Jesus said, even when you saw this happening, you still wouldn't believe and repent of your sins. Now, we had over 100 people come to get saved that day and came back that night and got baptized. But there were people that sat there that should have came and didn't. And in this room today, there will be people. There will be people who know that they should let go of what they're holding on to and get saved. You see other people getting saved, but you don't get saved. You see other people repenting, but you don't repent. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to close this morning by asking, which one of these most represents you? Are you the one that told God no but ended up doing it anyhow? Thank God for repentance and obedience. Or are you the one that looks like church, acts like church, talks like church? Yes, sir. Hallelujah, Father God. Glory. And you don't do what he tells you to do. That is not true obedience. Wednesday night, just a couple days ago, uh, we revisited Acts chapter 2 and looked at the five biblical purposes of our lives individually and of church ministry as a corporate entity. Um, and they're right out of Acts chapter 2, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, worship, and evangelism. And we talked about how these five things need, uh, we need to be heavily involved in discipleship, in fellowship, in ministry, in worship, and evangelism. People talk all the time about how they'd love to see Today's church have the power of the early church. Oh, we just need to get back to Pentecost. We, we need to see God save 3,000 people in one day. Well, if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. And the Bible teaches in Acts chapter 2 that they invested their lives entirely in these five things. And I believe the word of the Lord today, what God is telling us, son, daughter, go do my work. In discipleship. Well, I don't like coming to church on Wednesday night because it's Bible study and it's it's, it's just teachy. Uh, do his work. Son, daughter, go do my work in fellowship. Well, I'm an introvert. Doesn't matter. Do his work. Child, go 
do my work in ministry. And ministry is not just preaching and teaching. I've told you ministry is meeting needs. You ought to look for ways to serve God every day, everywhere you go, constantly. It doesn't matter how you feel physically. With, with, with having broke my back twice and my neck once, I'm still picking up trash in the church parking lot when I see it because there's a need that you can meet. You need to meet it. Excuses are, it's time out for excuses. We need to move past that. The Bible says that we need to wake up and work while it is light because there's a day coming when there's not going to be work for, we're not going to be able to work because there won't be no light to work by and we need to get involved. I believe God would tell us, child, go do my work in worship. Worship takes something. Now, you, now, when we have, it's called praise and worship on the bulletin. For some people, it's stand and stare at the floor. And you could ask them, Did, were you in praise and worship Sunday morning? And they can be just like younger son. Yes, sir. I certainly was. But did they do the work? Staring at the floor? Chewing gum, looking sideways? Not worshiping? See, worship takes work. The primary Greek word, their very uh, picturesque visual language, illustrative language, the, the number one word for work, well, one of the two, these two were sh shared equally, uh, there were, we get our English word, worship from is proskuneo and it was a visual image of a dog laying at his master's feet nudging nosing the master's hand and licking the master's hand that was their expression of worship and 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 here's why because they know that that dog knows if, if somebody's going to play with me, it's going to be my master. If somebody's going to touch me, it's going to be my master. If somebody's going to feed me, it's going to be my master. If somebody's going to care for me, it's going to be my master. So they would always position themselves at their master's feet. And a dog would just, you get up and move, that dog get up and move with you. That dog loves you, go ahead and leave the chair and go to the couch. He's coming. Just wants to be near his master. I wonder, do you have a heart like that? Do you realize that if you're going to be blessed, it's going to be by God's hand? Do you realize if you're going to be who we want you to be, it's going to be by his hand? The other Greek word that they use for worship is the word latreo, which means to show your love by serving. We, we, we see this still in, in, in acts of service today. People don't just stack chairs because they love stacking chairs. They stack chairs because they love God and they're looking for a way to show that love to God. People just don't come out and hand out boxes. It was 100 plus degrees this summer. People were sweating. Rick almost died five times out there. Um, carrying boxes to people in the heat. They don't do that because they just like carrying boxes. We don't have people come up here all day Thursday and all day Friday and, and turn our fellowship hall into a food and clothing ministry just, just because they got nothing better to do with their life. They do that because it's a way they can show their love for God. It's something that they can do. They can put some proof in their pudding where the rubber meets the road. And that's what worship is all about. Worship isn't about lip service. Worship is about showing it. The Bible says God showed his love to us. While we were yet sinning, he sent Christ to die for us on Calvary. That was Jesus' act of worship. Your labor is your act of worship. Not just singing four songs on Sunday. It's way more than that. God would tell us, go do the work of evangelism. Well, I'm not a good talker. He didn't say if you are a good talker. The Bible commands us to Go into all the world and tell them the good news about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. The Bible commands every believer to get involved in evangelism. And I wonder today if you are willing to go and work in your father's business. Are you willing to work? Which one of these represents your life? Are you that person that just, nope, I ain't with that. I ain't about that life. But then one day turn around, repent, and do it. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, at least you recovered 
and now you did it. If you're that person, I want you to let today be your recovery day. If you've been telling God no to some things, I want you to let today be your yes day. If you've been telling God no to some things, I want you to repent. You say, ooh, I wonder who he's talking to. Does that mean somebody's drinking? Oh, I wonder somebody's whoring around. He must have heard something. He's saying that somebody needs to repent. I'm talking to every single one of us. I didn't hear nothing, didn't need to hear nothing. I know all we like sheep have grown astray. I know we're all drawn away by our own lust and enticed by our evil desires that drag us away from doing what God wants us to do. And we can say no. But I want this to be your yes day. Maybe you're the other one, which I think is where most of us are. Maybe you're that one that says, yes, sir. Hallelujah. See you next Sunday. But you don't do what he's telling you to do today. It's time to do work for the Lord. It's time to get involved. Invest in discipleship. Learning more about God. Invest in fellowship. I've had people tell me, well, I'm not a social person. That's not my personality. Personalities don't give us excuses to disobey God. He wants us to be friendly. I've always wanted to have a friendly church. But I've said for years, it's not enough for us just to be a friendly church. We need to be a church full of friends. For that to happen, people have to show up. I've seen so many people come through the years and say, well, I just never felt like anybody took the time to be my friend. Well, if you come sporadically, that's probably not going to happen. But I promise you this, you get involved in men's ministry, you get involved in women's ministry, you start investing your life in fellowship here, you'll find there's friendship here, there's, there's, there's belonging here, there's community here for you because God created us to live in community. It's time that we get involved in ministry. It's a small thing, but we didn't have to give cups to that man. I bought that man lunch. He never reciprocated. I could have had my, my feelings on my shoulder and be like, hmm, now you need me? How about no? But that's not, that's not in my heart. And I know if you're saved, that's not in your heart either. He had a need. We had provision. So he got them. There was no charge. There was no, when are you going to pay me back? There was no, let's write a receipt for that. Freely you receive, freely ought you to give, the Bible says. God wants us to get involved in worship. I love the fact that God structured corporate church services biblically to where there would be singing and where there would be crashing of cymbals. And, and where there would be stringed instruments to praise him on. And, and he, he instructed us to do that in the corporate setting. I love that. And I hope you take advantage of it. Whether the song is your favorite song or you've never heard the song. I hope that you'll honor God and obey God through worship and lift your voice and sing. Stop waiting on it to be your favorite song. Stop waiting on it to be uh, just exactly what you want it to be. And take the opportunity to give your worship to God, but not just four songs on Sunday. All through your day, love on Him. Pour your love out on Him. Serve Him with gladness. Need to get involved in evangelism. We're going to talk about that more in the coming days. But every one of us is commanded to share the gospel. You don't have to know 20 verses of Scripture. You don't have to know the Romans Road. You don't have to know uh, Evangelism Explosion. You don't have to have the four spiritual laws committed to memory. Uh, these are all programs that are positioned to help people share Christ. But you ought to at least be able to say what the blind man said when they asked him. They were asking him to, t the, the religious leaders came to the blind man. Jesus healed a blind man, gave him sight. The boy was blind since birth. And they came to him and said, tell us the truth. Tell us about this man, Jesus. 
He said, man, I don't know how to answer all your questions. Tell you what I do know. I was blind and now I see. How about that? Has God done anything for you? You don't have to be able to put chapter and verse Bible to it, but you ought to be able to tell people, I used to be this and now I'm that. I was over here, I was over here but now I'm over here. Get involved in what God wants you to. There's work to be done. And my question to you today is, are you going to be like the older son who says no? Are you going to be like the younger son who says yes and doesn't do it? The reality is God sees all and he knows all. And there's a place for you. There's a place for you to get involved, to invest your life. I told the people for, uh, Wednesday night that if you ever really get involved in these five things, your life will take on greater meaning. I believe some of the happiest people at our church are the people that serve on uh, Saturday in food and, 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 and food and clothing ministry. I believe they've got friends inside that ministry. I believe they enjoy life more. I believe they realize that it ain't always convenient, but it always has purpose. I, I believe they realize sometimes it's difficult, but God's using me to do something on a grand scale. If you try to live only for yourself, well, I got to get me mines. A couple things about that. Number one, that's grammatically incorrect. That is not a complete, that's not a real sentence. You can't get you mines. See, I, I mean, I, I grew up in a time with bussing. See, I, I thank God. Yeah, I, I'm, well, they say I missed segregation. Uh, they still segregated. They bust, they bust all the white little kids over to, uh, over to the black neighborhood. They bust all the black kids into white neighborhoods. I'm like, ah, this ain't segregation. I, I'm, I'm living off Normandy Boulevard going to James Weldon Johnson's 7th grade center on King's Road. And back then, now if you don't know where that is, you ought to go by there. You'll find out. You won't talk, you, you won't think this is a rough neighborhood. Let me drop you off behind James Weldon Johnson. We did, I did learn about honey drippers. I get sidetracked. Let me let me keep going. Big Tunk. I say Big Tunk taught us all how to pitch nickels, dimes, and quarters on the wall, but really what he did. No, that wasn't Tunk. That was Big Tracy. Tracy was 16 years old in the seventh grade. Drove a car to school. Bigger than the coach. Big Tracy. Big Tracy didn't really teach us how to, to pitch coins on the wall. He'd just walk by and pick them all up. He just, for real, on, on, on God. He, we, there'd be 10 people in the line. He would just walk through, not say a word to anybody, scoop them all up, put them in his pocket, keep walking. But Big uh that, that, that was Tracy, but Tunk would say, he would say, I can get me mines. I remember it well. I mean, I, I started my education in England with a proper education. Came to America in the third grade going to private school. Went to fourth, fifth, and sixth grade in Virginia. Uh, came to the dirty south after the sixth grade. Got a wide-eyed awakening. With, 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 with Big Tunk and Big Tracy. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I'd never heard it. And I was like, what? I, I know what he means, but why is he saying, you can bet I'm going to get me mine's on. Say that again, Tunk. Oh, you can believe I'm going to get me mine's on. Mine's on. Y'all look at it. Nobody, anybody ever heard? Y'all need to go to James Weldon Johnson. People are so concerned, I'm going to get me me. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to get me mine. I'm going to look out for myself. I come to let you know in closing, that's an empty life. That's a sad existence. And it gives you no opportunity to leave a legacy. 
There are some of us that are committed to paying tithes and offerings in this church and serving God in this church, committed to building this uh, food and clothing ministry in this empty parking lot, and we are determined that we're going to leave a legacy for God's glory that outlives us, and when we're long gone off this planet, there'll still be something standing for God's glory because there's something bigger to live for than just me and mine. I hope that you will begin to say yes to God. One of the most simple songs we ever sang, and I love that song. And I sing it to God all the time. I thank God you don't have to have a good singing voice to God to accept your song. But it was just simple, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. I hope today will be your yes, Lord day. Not just yes, sir, and not intend to do it, but yes, Lord. Say yes to your Father in heaven. Say yes to the God that allowed you salvation when you didn't deserve it. Kept you when you should have been thrown away. He says his love is everlasting and he never gives up on us. Oh, who wouldn't serve a God like our God? Sadly, too many people. But I hope you'll serve him today. Maybe you're here and you're unsaved. You don't have to walk an aisle prayer prayer. That, that can happen. But if you're not saved... You don't have to come take a microphone, explain that to anybody. The Bible says that if you'll call on the name of the Lord, he'll save you. If you ever want to get real salvation, you just cry out to God and ask him to save you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, and you are willing to call on him with all of your heart, you can have true salvation. And you don't need me to get there. If you're, no, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not sure about your salvation today, I want you to call on the Lord. Wherever you are today, I want you to begin to say yes to the Lord. Because His way is better. And it's more joyful. And it has more purpose. And it's only by stepping into purpose that you can have what Jesus calls the abundant life. Too many people are just existing. They're not living life on a higher level. They're not living with the joy of the Lord as their strength. We, we used to sing, I got peace, love, and joy like a river. We traded that in for people who've got pills, hate, and unforgiveness like an ocean. Say yes to God today, whatever your need. Say yes. And do yes. Don't say right and do wrong. Say right. And do right. Pray with me. God, thank you for space to repent. Thank you for your word to guide us, instruct us, encourage us, correct us, chastise us. Show us where we're right and show us where we're wrong. God, I pray for every person in the room today. God, I pray that you'd save the lost. I pray that you'd speak to your children. And let us begin to tell you yes and do yes. Let us speak right and do right for your glory. We want to work in your vineyard. We want to be about your business. We want to love you and prioritize you above everything. So I ask you, God, to fill us with your spirit. Give us a sense of urgency to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.